0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to be with you for this episode. This is one that has been in the works for a little while. I've been wanting to talk to Royce Young of ESPN about the experience of covering the Oklahoma City Thunder this year, and also where they're going. And so we go through all of that in a, about a 55-minute conversation, and it's I really did enjoy it. This episode is sponsored by Blue Apron, the Amazing food delivery service. You can go to blueapron.com slash real and you can get your first three meals free, including free shipping, by going to that URL. Again, blueapron.com slash real GM. Thanks so much for coming on. You bet. I wanted to have you on because I just thought this was such a fascinating season, beginning to end, top to bottom for the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, it started just a little bit, a little bit less than a year ago with everything that happened. And we'll get into some of the specifics in a minute, but just like you you were around this team closely this entire year and have the full context of your previous time with the team. What do you take away from the experience?
1: Yeah, it was amazing, Danny. I mean, it really was um, because I think that people have to, you know, like you kind of referenced, you have to put yourself in the frame of mind of the way the the fan base, the franchise, the city, the state, all felt when they woke up on july 5th 2016 and kevin durant was suddenly no longer part of the franchise and then if you could if you could sit people down i think for lunch on that july 5th and you say okay here's what's going to happen russell westbrook's going to sign an extension and he's going to average a triple double and maybe win mvp <laughs> like i, I think if, and you know and you're still gonna you're gonna win eight fewer games than you did the year before um and you're gonna go to the playoffs and you're gonna be a sixth seed in the western conference i think people would be like okay get out of town that sounds so unrealistic and stupid um, you know, it's like you, you get caught up into the present moment and you kind of forget about the way that you felt um, when you were starting to set those expectations for yourself. You know, you, you just like let expectations fly out the window when the reality becomes what it is. And I, I think that. You know, watching this season with Westbrook, especially, um, there was some really, really rough edges, as you know, Danny. I mean, there there was it was not pretty all the time. And the 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 Thunder roster has a lot of questions. I think Westbrook himself has a lot of questions to kind of answer and evaluate going forward. But for what it was, you know, moving on from a foundational, transcendent, Hall of Fame player, in my opinion, you know, maybe I, I think he's I think Kevin Durant's the best offensive player in the world, and um to kind of move on from that to then saying okay what what happens now and for it to you know Westbrook to pick up the baton and say i got this and to produce the kind of season that he did, whether people want to downplay his rebounds or they want to look at contested shots and all that type of stuff, the guy did something amazing, and he changed the narrative in Oklahoma City completely from what it was back in July, where the franchise was on fire and everybody wondered what was going to happen. Would there even be a, a professional sports franchise in Oklahoma City in ten years? Kevin Durant left. How could how could this place possibly continue to exist? And um, you know, I, I think that for everything that happened within the context of this one isolated season. I think, I think a lot of people in Oklahoma are going to maybe look back on it, uh, 10, 15 years from now and maybe say it was their favorite season ever. Just, just considering the circumstances.
0: I can totally understand why. And being a fan, being a media member are are really complicated because you're kind of a, a, a you're involved with the team in a, in a different way you you kind of see it through through their eyes and through everything else and as those changes happen, you know Durant leaves and everything else that happens and I think there are two parts of this that are also important to get in at the outset one is they lost Durant without compensation right this is not even like when Cleveland lost LeBron because the CBA was different then they at least got some first round picks out of it toronto got some for chris bosh okc because of the of the reaction to that with the with the 2011 cba and then of course now there's going to be a new one they got nothing and so to be able to do that they didn't have a ton of flexibility it was always this risk but you know it was a justifiable risk yeah, from a risk standpoint. worth taking exactly yeah. and then the second part was how the thunder were consistently interesting and consistently relevant and i didn't think they were going to reach that double this year
1: yeah that, that's a that's a really good point um and, you know, and that really resides in Westbrook. Westbrook is such a fascinating polarizing player um that you know you not only do you feel like you can evaluate every game he plays, but you feel like you can almost evaluate every possession that he plays i mean there's just there's something that that guy produces that you want to talk about you just gravitate uh towards him, but you know within that you know he became kind of this you know gravitational star where it, like he's like everything's just pulling in the direction of Westbrook, and so therefore then, like you said, Danny so many questions and so many interesting things pop up about the Thunder about like, well, how good could they be? Could you build a you know a a title contender around Russell Westbrook, you know, as a as an alpha dog? Could you, you know, what do these other pieces look like? What does their future look like? Hey, wow, they have the third youngest roster in the in the NBA this year. You know, so like so many of these like things kind of become more and more relevant to where, you know, all this all of a sudden the narrative changes from The Thunder uh, franchise is a pile of ashes, uh, and there's nothing left uh, to even – You know, pay attention to. To now, suddenly, it's like, wow, they have. You know, if you're if you're looking at, you know, maybe bright futures ahead, you could you could maybe place the thunder in that conversation. Now, we as we all know, they have serious roster questions and serious roster flaws. And um, they had a they had a team that was built to complement Westbrook and Durant as a tandem. And you remove Durant from that equation, and suddenly a lot of those specialists that they have on the team don't really complement Westbrook in the same way. And so, you know, and and I think that that was the other big question too throughout the season, Danny, is that like people kind of were wondering, is it like it was a chicken or the egg type of deal? Like is Westbrook stunting their growth and these, and these players aren't necessarily producing to the level that they should um, you know, and rising above? Or is it that what Westbrook is doing is out of necessity to just drag this team that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense uh, to the place that they got them to? And, and like you said, I think that all that type of stuff is what made the Thunder interesting throughout the year.
0: It's almost always impossible to separate those kind of questions because you can't get them in other contexts. Like even Victor Oladipo, you know, he played in Orlando last year, he played on the Thunder. So that's not, you know, you can compare a little bit there, but it's still very different. Steven Adams, you know, I think this was his most efficient year, even if it wasn't what we all thought he was going to be in the playoffs, you know, when he was, he was great in the 2016 playoffs, but that gets into a whole lot of other complicated stuff. And Westbrook, being what he was being the, the the king of usage you know setting. Mm-hmm. i think he set the nba record for it but then also being their entire offensive engine in in crunch time allowed billy donovan to go to some of these lineups where it was basically just a bunch of talented energetic but low low usage defense right. first players and this gets into one of the core arguments for me for mvp is that you can't do that approach Without Russell Westbrook,
1: right? The the Thunder basically they didn't just like embrace Hero Ball. They like built a system, you know, to, into the pure fabric of Hero Ball. It's like Billy Donovan was like saying that this is like this is Hero Ball to the like the most incredible extreme. And um and they basically like their their season hinged on Westbrook and you know how he performed in those moments. And that's you know that was really what swung myself too um you know tr- the triple double record and the triple all that stuff is like you know remarkably amazing and it matters i think in the whole context of it but you look at what westbrook did and and some people might say well it's random chance that the that the shots went in you know those those you know crunch time numbers are sometimes a little bit wonky and a little noisy and but here's the here's the fact of the matter danny they went in the ball went in and they won the games as a result of it so like whether or not it was you know somewhat random or noisy or whatever it might be westbrook hit the shots they made the plays they got they they won games that they maybe otherwise shouldn't have, and um, I do think Billy Donovan kind of stumbled upon whether it was intentionally so or it was just the product of of just Westbrook himself, of you know kind of an, a new style of play you know the Rockets did it to uh, a similar degree but just not as extreme as the Thunder of uh, saying look this this is Russell Westbrook is a player that plays with the ball in his hands and the Thunder instead of trying to say well let's develop a system that doesn't really embrace it they just said that's what we're going to be we're going to be a team that the ball is in his hands that's the way he plays is the way he's always wanted to play and we're just going to completely wrap both arms around this and build a system around it and so in the 34 to 36 minutes that he plays a night the ball is going to be in his his hands and it's going to, and the and entire offense is going to be at his will and his mercy. And, um, you know, I, I think for better, or for worse, it worked at Kind of well at times. When Westbrook, I think, found his kind of distribution mentality and and let that kind of feed into his scoring uh, mindset, I thought the Thunder were really really solid on the offensive end. But um, the other times where it kind of went the other way, you know, Westbrook's always been a, somewhat of a low efficiency player, and you know he got gotten his own way at times. So I, I think that overall, you know, Westbrook in some ways kind of redefined this new position of like he's this high usage player. Um, but not in, you know, usage is kind of a complicated stat. It's like, it, it suggests like a level of ball hoggery, but like Westbrook was still, was just running an offense entirely through himself. And so like, instead of just like, you know, the Lakers like posting Shaq over and over and over and over again, or something like that, it was just a point guard and the offense completely flew, flowed through him in every, in uh, every possible manner.
0: Right. And the NBA for reasons that i don't have access to they have chosen and continued to choose to make their most prominent award a regular season most valuable player award right so those who say oh well blankety blank is a better player or whatever that doesn't matter that's not the award that they're giving and if you want it to be something else then get them to change it and that is value It it might not be predictive Just like the Warriors were the best clutch team of all time last year and then were, eh, this year, that sort of thing happens. But it's still value. It's still something that he did, and they were able to build these lineups. And part of it that made made him so valuable is that they didn't have a whole lot of other options. Like this wasn't a circumstance where they marginalized these super talented, you know, like give the ball, give the, give them the ball and they're going to work some magic. The, the Thunder didn't have a lot of those guys and they were able to, to make it work. And there's a reason why players who are capable with the ball in their hands are really hard to get because they're incredibly valuable. So they had to rely a lot on one guy, you know, Oladipo had his moments too, but they made it work, and that's incredible.
1: Yeah, and you know that's a really good point. And I, I think that, and this is me just com- kind of completely speculating here, but maybe educated speculation based on knowing Westbrook in the way that he plays. But like, you know, if you if you did kind of provide him, and I know I'm not I'm not stepping my toe into like, did he have help in the way that the Rockets had help? But like, if you, if Westbrook had more of the type of players that could take the ball from him, like a Lou Williams or an Eric Gordon or whatever you want to put it as. I think that Westbrook would have adjusted to that more. I, I do think, to me personally, I saw it as a product of, like you said, Danny, like what else is he supposed to do? You know, is he is he just going to post the ball to Steven Adams and, with four minutes left in the fourth quarter? I don't, that You know, what's, what are the Thunder's best options here? And I think that when uh, the Thunder acquired Doug McDermott and as Billy Donovan kind of got comfortable in figuring out how to play in the rotations, you know, you saw some of that Houston series uh, just – in small snippets, but when Billy Donovan would put McDermott and Alex Abrines on the floor together, Westbrook found those guys, and he looked for them often. And in some ways, Westbrook kind of mimicked the way that the Rockets played with Harden—you know, finding shooters. It's just. Westbrook had those kind of weapons around him, so he found him and um, but when, when he didn 't have that when he was playing two traditional bigs was you know, with Taj Gibson and Stephen Adams and pick and roll and there wasn 't a lot of space on the floor, Westbrook just became a battering ram that just tried to engineer points at the rim and that you know, 's what Westbrook does as well as any player in the league is he he sets up points at the rim. Westbrook is not a player that is going to pass the ball that leads to a pass that leads to a pass that gets it back. Westbrook is a player that passes it, gets it back and attacks. And he's looking to pass to an assist. And in some ways, you know he's he's one of, he's the rare breed Danny that I think is that he can be a selfish assister because he's so he's looking for a pass that directly leads to a bucket. He's not necessarily looking for a pass that just kind of runs an offense. He wants a pass that leads to a good shot and most of the time at the rim. And uh, because of that, I think that the Thunder offense had troubles. But then on the other flip side, it was kind of out of necessity because like what else is he supposed to do?
0: And that ties in with one of the definitive elements for me and uh, for those who haven't listened to it, Nate Duncan and I did a marathon podcast during the regular season about going through the MVP candidates and we did it with fresh eyes, went through all the top four. And we both ended up with Westbrook for different reasons. But one of the big parts for me was the Thunder scored 107.9 points per 100 possessions with Westbrook on the floor. That's pretty good. That's not it's not amazing. They scored 97.4 with him off the floor. And that gives you (laughs) the idea of just how there are not other options and how tight their margins were. The reason Oklahoma City did not have a high-end offense was not because Russell Westbrook wasn't as good. I mean, his surrounding talent, I mean, we're not, I don't need to get into that argument again, but they had nothing else. And right. so those, the, that 97, that's like worse than the Sixers, worse than the Magic. Those those minutes g- tie it down, and, and those are completely irrelevant to the story of like, oh, the Thunder's offense with Westbrook, but they are totally relevant to the idea of his value to the team.
1: Right, and I mean, they... I mean, I think it's point blank, simply put, they beat the Rockets when Russell Westbrook was on the floor. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're a better team than the Rockets because obviously that was proven out in five games. But when Russell Westbrook was on the floor against the Houston Rockets, the Thunder outscored them. And um, it, and that was a problem that they tried to solve throughout the season. They couldn't figure it out. I think Sam Presti made... I, I mean, it, it's a weird thing to say this is one of his most egregious errors because, I mean, he did trade James Harden. <laughs> but... Um, but I do think it, you know, that that's a whole complicated, uh, you know, can of worms there. There's a lot of, you know, things and context on both sides of that to to try to excuse Presti on that one to some degree. But what he did with Ronnie Price in the preseason, um, you know, basically the, you know, the Cameron Payne broke his foot. Thunder liked Samaje Christian. You know he had played overseas, played in their D League, played in their summer league. They liked the way that he was. He was a young player on a very, very cheap contract. And so Sam Presti, who had signed Ronnie Price to I think it was a two-year deal for five million dollars in the off-season, precious cap space there on a veteran backup point guard, um, or really he was going to be a third-string guy. And Presti just cut him, just ate the contract, and handed the keys to Samaje Christian. And, you know, there was good reason to Christian played pretty well in the preseason. And I'm sure that the Thunder liked him and liked kind of his story and his, you know, from rags to riches coming from the D League and working his way up through the organization. But it proved out. I mean, the Thunder completely stunk. With Samaje Christian on the floor, the the guy is one of the worst offensive players in the NBA, point-blank, period. He can't shoot. He can't drive. He turns the ball over at a high rate. Essentially what he became was just a you know he'd bring the ball up and just try to post the ball to Ennis Canner. I mean that was his role because that's what the Thunder offense was when Russell Westbrook wasn't on the floor. And um, the options were limited. They had a hard time developing anything. For a little brief glimpse there, Danny, like in – I think I want to say – Maybe – I can't remember when Canner broke his arm. But leading up to that, they had a little bit of an offensive identity with that second unit where Canner was passing well out of double teams. And, and they had something going just to a, a small degree. And then Canner punched a chair and they lost all rhythm completely. Um, but, yeah, I mean there was just – they just didn't have anything. They you know Like you said, it all stems back to the fact that Kevin Durant left for literal nothing. And they didn't have really much cap space. What they did have, they spent on uh, signing Westbrook to an extension – And, uh, you know, all free agents were gone anyway. So it was like, you know, what do you do? You just got to, you know, make the best of what you have.
0: And that's something that many lose sight of sometimes in the process is that not only the Thunder themselves, but the players that they theoretically could have been interested in. It's a it's sands that are constantly moving. So, You can't be sitting there and say, "Hey, you know, we might have some money for you if Kevin Durant leaves," and then the you know that agent's going to be like, "Uh, okay," and maybe like, "We'll, well just like, wait on that then." Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not the way this works, and so that's why the idea there are various there are various times that you could talk about this in terms of you know things things that could change mid mid off season, but you know they didn't have much time to react to it. And I think you saw the the reason why it was smart to give Russell Westbrook that extension. I mean, it was smart for him because he got a lot more money for a a pretty small commitment in terms of, you know, just giving them an extra year. But it also gave not only the Thunder as kind of an organization, but their players and similarly importantly, their fan base season ticket holders, a reason to say, okay, all is not lost before the season when they found that out for sure. Right,
1: and there was a roadmap at that point. You know, there was there was a direction, there was like a stability that that gave. Um, it wasn't a lifetime contract. It was, you know, we all know what it was. And he has an opt out after next season. Um, uh, the expectation, though, is that you know he's he's going to be eligible, uh, uh, you know, unawaringly so when he signed it last summer. But now, you know, with this the new collective bargaining agreement, he's eligible for another huge extension. Um, expectation is is he'll sign it. Uh, but you know what it what that one last season. did, it is, it just, it gave them a, you know, it pointed them in a direction. I mean, they, they were a ship without a sail and in they didn't really have any any they were just out there at sea just floating around, and Westbrook you know gave them a sail and and put some wind at their back and they were suddenly going places and they had a way to say okay it, you know we can start from start from here and then map it out from from another direction because you know the interesting thing about the Thunder situation is you know we're talking about a team that over you know five to s- five six seven year period was a true contender now they didn't ever win the title everybody is well aware of that. Um, but you know they went to four out of six conference finals. They went to an NBA finals. They had, I think, the best, the second best record in the NBA for like a seven year stretch, um, behind the Spurs. So like this is a team that was like truly elite, and you know they, and and Presti's plan was kind of coming together because he had always mapped this out for Westbrook and Durant to hit their primes together, to get signed to long term extensions, to have money in the bank, to be able to bust into the luxury tax and and re sign uh, young talent and keep the kind of keep the cupboard stocked with all these players. And and the thunder were set up to spend money. This was kind of the Genesis of the hardened trade for, you know, as, as negative as that has been in some ways for the thunder, it was coming together here for Presti. If he could get Kevin Durant resigned, most everybody you talked to in the thunder organization, Al Horford was their next call and they had all this money saved up to ready to go do it. And then it blew up in his face, uh, you know, almost instantaneously. And now it's like, okay, they went from like, you know, scratching the top of the mountain to now back to the middle of it. And, and it's kind of a rare thing, I think, in the NBA for a team to go from that point back to the middle and then to try to climb their way out of the middle without blowing it completely up. I mean, this is, in some ways, this is a, you know, this is a really challenging spot I think for Presti and his staff to figure out how do you go from the middle back to the top? And, uh, and, you know, that that's, <laughs> that's what they're going to have to try to solve this summer. And the next after that.
0: Absolutely. Before we move on to the off season, one other thing I, I think of this as as a this season question, but we'll go through a couple of different guys. And the way I will, I like to do this is think back to where the th- where the Thunder were mid October, beginning of the regular season, any time in there. And do you feel do you think they should feel better or worse about? And we'll start with Victor Oladipo. Uh,
1: that's a good Victor Oladipo is an interesting one, and I, you know, I think that. I kind of think they should feel worse about him a little bit, but you know, he, if you look at it just kind of in, in a in a you know snapshot view, it was his most efficient season. Um, you know, he dealt with a, a pretty severe wrist injury, and before that, you know, he was shooting over forty percent from three, shooting almost fifty percent from the corners. Was had turned into this really really good spot-up catch-and-shoot guy, kind of the 3 and D guard the Thunder had, had been in desperate search of for a long time, and Oladipo was providing that, I think people did kind of have this expectation for him and Westbrook to to sort of form this tandem together where, you know, they were, uh, you know, not not to a degree of like a you know two-headed monster with like two stars, but like where Oladipo was going to be like a true supporting player, and really, he just kind of was a role guy, and you know, he's and, and you can get away with it this year, but next year he kicks into having, you know, an $85 million extension attached to them. And, you know, that makes you evaluate a player in a much different way. Um, so I, you know, he's still young and I think that he showed a lot of promise this year. Um, so I mean, in, in some ways I see the negative, but I also see the positive. So I'd probably just kind of say it's a push.
0: That's fair. And the idea that you got into in there about him, maybe not being the, the second best player on a good team is I think the way that this is a negative, it looks more like he's third or fourth. Yeah, it was
1: supposed to be right. Yeah. I mean, and he that's, was and that's supposed what to be the Thunder's second best
0: player. Yeah. That's what yeah. they basically paid him for. And that ties in with the next one, which is Steven Adams, which I think is also a matter of perspective.
1: Yeah. And. Uh, You know, you mentioned it uh, early on, Danny, and like, you know, Adams himself raised his own expectations just through the roof with the way that he performed in the postseason um, last year. And everybody kind of saw this as, okay. now Kevin Durant's gone and they've got this, you know, 23 year old potential monster. Uh, that, you know, blossomed in the playoffs, you put him in as a, you know, Westbrook's primary pick and roll partner. And all of a sudden, you know, Steven Adams is going to be a 15 and 10 guy. And, you know, statistically speaking, Adams had his best year, you know, in a pretty significant way. Uh, and I do think that it's kind of a matter of perspective in some ways, you know, I think Adams averaged 11 points, eight rebounds or something like that. Uh, maybe, yeah, 7.8 rebounds or something. I can't, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. um, Let's let's just say that Russell Westbrook didn't go steal two free throw rebounds a game from Stephen Adams, and now Stephen Adams is averaging a double double, and people might have a little bit of a different perspective of the guy just in terms of numbers. Um, you know, if he's averaging eleven points, eleven rebounds, people might might be looking at Adams and saying, "Hey, he had a pretty nice little season." You know, for for being a under twenty five player, uh, but again, he's about to hit a huge extension. He's going to be a hundred million dollar player, and you know, I think that I think. Fans should should be excited about Adams because he is a high level defensive player, um, and I think that there's a lot of potential in that guy. I think that you know, offensively speaking, you know the Thunder coaching staff and the Thunder front office they are begging Adams to uh, evolve and kind of develop some confidence in himself offensively because I think the guy has a lot to a lot to offer. Um, it's just kind of about pulling it out of him. I think, I think he just doesn't know how to play with his size quite yet. I, you know, he doesn't know how to be physical, be like, that sounds weird about Steven Adams. I know, but like when he's got the ball in his hands, he just needs to like, you know, like how Dwight Howard did back in like 2008 and 2009, just like, just go over people. And like Westbrook and the staff is like begging him to do that all the time. He's just a little tentative for some reason. Um, but you know, he's still young. So I I think, I think fans should be excited about Steven Adams. I think there's a lot of reason to believe in that guy.
0: He still has the talent that led to us all fawning over him in the twenty sixteen playoffs. All that's still there. I don't yeah. think that what happened this year eroded it at all. It's just that we didn't see it on a game to game basis. So yeah, I would say for him, it's you know it's lower than the playoff expectations, but this was a fine year for him, and the you know I think that we are learning that he is probably going to be one of those lower usage bigs, but that's fine. You know, like for most part, you don't want high usage bigs, you know, not everybody can be the Carl Anthony towns or somebody like, or AD, you know, not everybody can be that guy. And when you have a Russell Westbrook, it doesn't matter. You have, you have that guy.
1: And I think, and I think honestly, I think it takes a certain kind of player uh, mentally speaking to be kind of a Westbrook player, right? You know, like, uh, and Steven Adams is, is the prototypical Westbrook player teammate. I mean like the like I've never seen a player care less about numbers or anything than Stephen Adams. I mean the guy just genuinely doesn't care about anything. Um and he's you know very low key, very chill and you know in terms of a player that can get along with Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams is like the ultimate guy at that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Before we move on to the off-season part of Oklahoma City's story, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about Blue Apron, the amazing food delivery service that has become just something I look forward to every week because it is great meals to eat. I enjoy cooking it. I learned new techniques actually. I think it was 2 weeks ago, learned a different method for cooking burgers for finishing them that I really enjoyed. Probably going to use that again in the future. And it provides a lot of convenience because for those of us who don't cook all the time, we might not have the full repertoire of spices and everything else, and usually you can't buy it in the perfect quantity. Not only is it pre-measured and all together with Blue Apron, but you don't have to worry about food waste. So you can eat good food, you can cook good food, and you can gain cooking confidence. And using blueapron.com slash real you can check out what they have on the menu for this week and going forward, and you can get your first three meals for free with free shipping. I did not have that much experience with Blue Apron when I when I started and used that opportunity to really fall in love with the product. I found things that I was looking forward to eating and I've gotten so much better and more comfortable in the kitchen and I fully expect that you can be the same way. I actually get feedback from people fairly frequently saying that they really got hooked on it from Real GM Radio in particular, and that it's become a part of their life. And if the people who have a significant other, it's a great thing that you can do together as well. So again, the URL is blueapron.com slash Real GM, excellent meals, high quality ingredients, and you can get your first three meals for free, including free shipping. We'll move on to the offseason just because I know there's some really interesting wrinkles that I want to work through with you. And the place to start, which is so weird considering everything that we've already talked about, is with Russell Westbrook. And the reason for that is because of this nuance, as you talked about, that he he didn't know when he signed his renegotiation extension that he and former teammate James Harden were going to be grandfathered in to getting these new designated veteran extensions, even though the normal rules would prohibit that. And I understand that from a fairness perspective. You know, if you don't know where the rule is going to go, it's not fair to punish them. And that's right. that's sort of the concept. It's actually similar to something that OKC ended up reducing their payments on Kem Durant because the Derrick Rose rule didn't exist, but then he was subject to it. So those right. sorts of things as well. And the way that I'm looking at it is, if Westbrook does not agree to that extension, I would be a little bit uncomfortable because... Yeah. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same kind of boat as Durant, except that Durant never had that option just because the extension system was so broken. So if he says no, you're kind of sitting there going, well, we're taking a big risk and the return is there, but it's it's. I I think it'd be hard, you know, if, if you're sitting there going, "Oh God, are we going to have to go through this again?" You sit there and I feel sympathy for the Hawks who went through it without without Horford and then did it again with Paul Millsap. Yeah,
1: I mean, the alarm bells are just ringing out if Westbrook says no, because you know there's multiple layers to this, Danny. That like for one, he becomes the highest paid player in NBA history, so it's like he's gonna he's gonna get his money, and you know there's so if if he doesn't want that, then that, that is a that is a signal. Right there, that you know, he is skeptical about the team's future. And to me, you know, knowing Russell Westbrook and and knowing what last uh, summer's extension meant, and and the message that he was kind of trying to convey at that point with loyalty and commitment and all that type of stuff, and he was serious about that stuff. That was as much a part of that extension as anything else was to kind of for he he made the decision to basically forego his free agency, which would have been this summer, and say I'm giving it up because I, I I'm making my decision now to stay in Oklahoma City and everybody around westbrook everybody around the organization viewed that as a long-term commitment and like like you said there they didn't know this was coming they didn't know this option was coming you know in their mind westbrook signed the two-year extension with a player option on the third year because he was trying to get to that 10-year uh, you know that ten-year marker, like a lot of players were. You know, it's it's the same reason. You know, Durant signed the two-year deal with the Warriors. No, nobody is wondering if Kevin Durant is going to to go elsewhere. It's just like it was just a a function of the system, and Westbrook was going to take advantage of it like everybody else. Um, but there was no doubt that he was committed. Now this thing comes up. And after it, – it would be different to me if the Thunder would have won 28 games and you know had uh, clear and obvious struggles and issues. But this is a 47-win team. This was a playoff team. This is a team with an upward trajectory right now I, to most people, anyone you talk to. Um, the, the, future, the future ahead for the Thunder looks reasonably decent. There, There is a path ahead I think to getting this team um, back into the conversation for the top three in the West. Uh, and if Westbrook says no – that to me, you know, now you now you're back to the conversation you were on July 5th last year. Do you have to trade Russell Westbrook? Could a could a guy that wins MVP get traded before the season even starts? If Westbrook says no to this, that that is that runs so contrary to me to everything that kind of he personally has at least publicly stood for, and I I quite honestly I view him as an incredible hypocrite. To to essentially build up a brand of loyalty and commitment and run as the you know quote unquote antithesis of Kevin Durant, that he's you know, Westbrook's the guy that stayed, that's the guy that left. And now you turn down being the highest paid player in NBA history to to you know stay with the franchise that you suppo- supposedly planted your flag with. You know, that ain't Russell Westbrook. That ain't the guy that I know, that ain't the guy that the organization believes that they have. Uh, so if he says no to that, you know the alarms go off, tor- tornado sirens are ringing up throughout uh, Oklahoma City, and and you know you're you're talking about a trade conversation at that point.
0: Also. Oklahoma city's broad lack of flexibility this summer, just in terms of you know that they're, they're pretty much capped out, they have their guys, you know they obviously have some big decisions, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes, but he knows what they are, he knows what they're going to be, and he ha- the idea of an informed decision is already there, so right. if he there's not much
1: thinking to be done, i mean there right. really should be.
0: there shouldn't be and and he also has time now to to do that thinking you know this is yeah. this is the situation so it, it is a real challenge and I, I don't know exactly how they're, how they're going to handle it. And as we talked about the idea of timing is exceedingly important here, you know? With- yeah. And, and
1: I'll say this, I mean, for that exact reason, like you mentioned, Danny, I, to me, it's, it's my personal expectation. And I think that it's the way that it, it needs to happen for Westbrook is that it needs to be midnight, July 1st. You know, I think that that like announce it, you know, you, you come to, you know, you can't officially negotiate it until July 1st. Like we all know, uh quote unquote air quotes here. Um, but like, you need to just get out in front of it and say, like, I'm here. There's no, there's no thinking, there's no talking, there's no doing this. I'm here, and if I'm here, then this is where we build from because that's a message I think, you know, the Thunder, like you said, they don't have cap space necessarily, but they do have, you know, mechanisms to build this roster, and they're going to look to, to do that. They're going to try to reshape the roster around Westbrook and in order to do that, anybody that is considering coming to Oklahoma City to play with Westbrook, they need to know that he's part of the team. And you know they're going to want to know that. And for Westbrook to kind of just like dig his heels in and say, July first, it's over. Look, I'm here, and and we're going to we're going to you know do this with me uh, running this thing. I think that that's important to do. If if that drags on to like July fourth, fifth, sixth, and he's like kind of hemming and hawing over the extension, I think that that's not a good sign either.
0: It might not be possible, but. I'm sure Sam Presti would actually prefer it if they could know a week and a half earlier because the best way, if they were going to move Russell Westbrook, it would be more valuable to them in many ways to get picks this year because they've already scouted those players. They already know what they're getting into as opposed to the uncertainty that comes with future assets. You know, like maybe, because especially if you're trading him for future assets to a team and you're getting their players, you know, all of a sudden they get Russell Westbrook, their team's going to be good now. So, I mean, there are teams, the Boston Celtics being one of them, that have other franchises' assets, and so some of those will be good, some of those won't be. And so it would be ideal. I mean, the Thunder have already done deals in the past for players that had been drafted. I mean, that was Jeremy Lamb. That was one of the most interesting Mm -hmm. things about the Harden trade was that they they traded for a player who had been drafted not on, on their discretion. Basically, they're just like, hey, we'll take him. He's a good player. Yeah. And you know, Jeremy Lamb is is doing Jeremy Lamb things down in Charlotte, and <laughs> yeah. you, you have you have that whole thing. But it's it's so interesting to be in that boat again. But that's just the way this works. And yeah,
1: it's just it's unpredictable. And and for Sam Presti, who is one of the most meticulous planners in the world, I mean, there's just certain things like you know, people can like you know, as every conversation with the Thunder and, and roster building goes to it, you go back to the Harden trade. Like if people can say like if only he would have had the foresight to know that the cap was going to jump and there was – but like nobody did. Just nobody knew this. Nobody knew that this sort of thing was going to happen and if you did, you're a liar. I mean if if you sat there and you tried to predict that the NBA salary cap was going to go to where it is right now, you just you just didn't know. I mean it was – it is a volatile landscape and you – and that's one of the biggest challenges there is in being a front office executive.
0: That also ties in. So I've previously stood by a criticism of them that they could have waited. But the problem with that, that I acknowledge all the time, is that that's so much easier said than done because the the idea that basically the Harden the Harden situation they could have extended him and then they they wouldn't have actually had to deal with the Electric tax for a year and a half if for those who want more insight on this I wrote a long piece for the Sporting News about this the problem with that is and it might not have been presty I I I don't have the answer to this is that that saying that and basically committing basically committing to a future thing that you think is going to be a problem is so perilous and so like nausea inducing right. that it's hard for especially when it's real money like this isn't some sort of abstract thing you know they would have been a luxury tax team everything mm-hmm. else like that and so it's hard and and it it always is going to be i mean you can look at some of the other situations i mean i was just working on my off-season preview for the clippers they're dealing with the same thing you know the clippers it's right. like, okay we we have to commit all of this money to these players and we don't know how good we're going to be you know we don't know where this is going and it's a lot easier to sit in your office in a totally different city not dealing with a fan base to say Oh, well they should do X. That is a very hard complicated personal decision. And remember, these people know the guys that they're dealing with. Like they, they like these are more personal decisions for them than mm-hmm. they are for fans or they are for media.
1: Yeah, and like, you know, that's something Sam has told me before is that like he drafted he drafted James Harden. He didn't want to trade him. He drafted him. And, um, you know, but like I'm, I'm, a, I'm you know, I've always kind of been of the same opinion you are is that if it was me personally, I, I feel like, you know, holding on to Harden and then, you know, evaluating your options later was always kind of the most, you know, practical best of both worlds situation. But again, I, I've always understood why Presti did it when he did it to try to maximize, you know, the trade offer that he had at the time on the table. Um, you know, you look at the the fact of like, you know, what, what happens with uh, a locker room situation, you know, d- essentially James Harden had told the thunder that, you know, he wasn't going to sign for less, um, you know, for the $5 million less in the summer. So like they knew like, okay, we're going to probably have to, you know, move the guy like they knew this. I mean, Harden and his representation had kind of made that clear that like, we're not signing this deal. So like, you're going to have to move me. Um, so if the Thunder knew that and then they were going to have this kind of thing hanging over them all year, you know, practically speaking, you know, you'd have a similar situation that they had with Reggie Jackson, which did turn out to be a problem in the locker room uh, before they moved him. So, you know, th- these are the things that they're like thinking about. While I'm sitting here like you, I'm kind of like, I don't know, it seems like you kind of maybe gotten, you know, the best of both worlds if you just would have hung on to him, But, you know, that's just me. And I'm, I'm just a dumb guy sitting here uh, talking into a microphone.
0: Let's So th- when well, we get into what have, they have to do this summer outside of Westbrook, I think, priority one is dealing with Andre Robertson and the challenge of restricted free agency is always that you have to deal with the team that likes a player the most. You're not dealing with 25 NBA teams. You're dealing with two or three max. Like that's all. That's all that really matters in this. And they have to kind of deal with that. and, And part of what being a good front office executive is, is knowing where your lines are. And I think that's probably the story with Robertson because since he's not a true max guy and I don't think anybody would ever say that he is right (laughs) right you have to figure out where that is and also be willing to say okay this is this is what happens if it if it gets past that and the the test case here is Portland you know Portland I don't know if they drew lines in the sand and Alan Krabs big contract just didn't reach it or whether they kind of got pulled in. They have a billionaire owner who said, okay, well, let's do it. But look at where they are now. Like that team has no flexibility and Oklahoma city can't afford to be in that circumstance when they have a mega star in his prime.
1: Yeah. And I think the question that they're asking themselves, Danny, is like, does Andre Robertson fit with a Westbrook team? And, um, you know, Robertson, anybody that pays attention to the NBA would, you know, obviously understands that the guy is one of the truly elite wing defenders in the game. And, you know, he might uh, he might get enough votes to make second team all defense this year. Even I mean, the guy is he is a wonderful, wonderful wing defender. And that's a commodity in today's NBA with the game being so perimeter oriented. Um, But at the same time, you look at like You know, Robertson made sense with Durant and Westbrook, two of the five best offensive players in the world compensating for his deficiencies. Um, So, yeah, he was a specialist and, you know, he was like a, you know, a closer that could come in and, you know, had two really, really good pitches and could get people out. Um, But now with Westbrook team, you know, and the evidence that they've built over this season and the information they have, does Robertson fit with that? So I think that's question one that they got to ask themselves. And then, you know, then you start factoring in the money. And that's what restrictive free agency – that's why to me it's such a a fun thing is because like you said, you're asking yourself – you know where where am I gonna go with this? It's almost like you know negotiating to buy a house or buy a car or something. It's like you got the offer on the table. All you gotta do is sign your name to it. And it's like okay, so somebody's offered Andre Robertson uh, twelve million dollars a year, and maybe as an organization, the Thunder earmarked it at ten million. We're gonna do ten ten a year for Robertson. That's what fits in our long term planning. And it's like well, now you're asking yourself, do we want to have him or want to not have him? Because it's one or the other. Either we pay him two two million dollars extra a year and we have him. Or we say no, and we no longer have this player for nothing. We lose him for nothing. So um, I think that's that's what's complicated about it, and that's why I think you see so many players uh, get overpaid in, in restricted free agency. You know, The other team is, understands that. They're willing to probably overpay to a degree to s- try to scare off the Thunder because the Thunder – everybody knows the Thunder like Andre Robertson. They want to keep him. Um, but it's about is the price right. And um, to me, Robertson is going to try to push to get paid. You know, Something Presti referenced in his exit interview – that they're gonna try to to get a deal done with Robertson before he actually goes out and meets with other teams. They're gonna try to satisfy his demands to keep him away from that restricted free agency cauldron where, you know, he could just end up with any out- offer out there. Like you said, a, a you know, one team really, really likes him. You know, if the Brooklyn Nets are like, We love you, we're gonna give you 14 million dollars a year, and the Thunder are like, Well, you know, crap, that's just way too much. The Thunder are gonna try to keep that from happening. But to me, I don't think Robertson's given him any breaks. You know, People forget that when he was the 26th overall pick in the draft a few years ago, he made the rare, rare move of signing for 80% of the rookie scale deal, which is like unheard of. Nobody does that. Everybody signs for the 120%, but he did it to sign with the Thunder, and you know, it was part, kind of part of their deal of you know, taking him uh, late first round where they did, and it worked out. You know, Robertson's an NBA player, and he's going to get paid now, but I don't think he's going to be cutting the Thunder any breaks this time around.
0: Right, and this is also where agents really make their money, or earn their money, is the idea of, while they can't have direct negotiations with teams, they can have clandestine conversations that are maybe a little bit speculative and they can have an idea answer
1: a text message
0: (laughs) and so and also the idea that you know the thunder having lines in the sand and we have seen talented players agree kind of preliminarily it happened ervin fournier did that chris middleton did that you know there are guys who take the security because restricted free agency is also risky you know what if you're just low enough on a lot of people's lists and restricted free agents are always laid in line because because of the structure of the format, you can't sign an offer sheet during the moratorium. So you're sitting there going, well, you know, maybe some teams going to offer me $14 million, but if X player, if they can get X player for 10, five days ahead of time without the risk that OKC matches, if they do that, then they can't sign me. Yeah, so- for some
1: players it works out, you know, like, I think that's a great point because like... Some players it really, really works out, you know, where somebody is like, uh, you know, totally willing to overplay, you know, like Alan Crabbe's a good example, or Tyler Johnson, you know, maybe guys that make more money than everybody expected. Uh, then you got a good example of the other side is Deion Waiters, you know, he was a restricted free agent entering last summer, and people were earmarking him after a really solid postseason run of you know, maybe Deion Waiters is a fifteen million dollar a year player. And, you know, all these players are signing and nobody else is really liking them and time is passing. And, you know, July 10th, July 12th, July 14th, nobody signed waiters yet. And, and suddenly, you know, his market is just completely diminished because everybody's cap space is spent and nobody really wanted to, to pony up and pay him. So, you know, he goes to Miami for for a cheap, uh, you know, short term contract.
0: Same thing happened to Jared Solinger. And Tyler yeah. Zeller. Like they're, it just happens. There are guys who get put on the wayside a little bit. It's easier for Wings just because there are, so, there are so few and they're always in great demand. But it's still possible, and there's a lot less money around the league right now than there was before. So right. It's a risk. It, it's a risk. Speaking of risk, this... Other than, of course, the Westbrook thing because it's just so huge. I'm gonna write on this for probably for the sporting news in the next couple of days. I've been working on an idea in my head of how to phrase it for a while. The Jeremy Grant situation is so fun because what happens with Jeremy Grant is he has a you know basically the the team has a decision here where. Basically, if they, if they let... I believe it's a team option. Do you know that? Yes. A, yeah, team is. option, yeah. yeah. So the reason it's a team option is because if it was non-guaranteed, then you could cut him and somebody else could claim it. With a team option, if you, if you decline it, then they're, they go into this process. So Jeremy Grant has a contract worth about $1.5 for next year, which is incredible value for him. Whatever you think of Jeremy Grant, I'm not the biggest fan in the world. He's still a steal at $1.5 Right. But the problem is if you pick up that option... He is an unrestricted free agent. If you right. decline that option, he is a restricted free agent and all of what we just talked about with Andre Robertson comes into play. And I'm just so intrigued by what's going what they're going to do there. Yeah,
1: I mean, essentially it's it's them making it a a, a statement of we think you're part of the long term versus we don't think you're part of the long term. <laughs> I mean, I or or we're we're skeptical. Maybe they're not saying we don't think you are, we're just at least skeptical uh about it. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have much insight into that and, in, in what they're necessarily thinking. I know they like Jeremy Grant. I think that as you know, many people in the, in the front office have told me is that he fits their profile. They feel like, you know, he's young, he's athletic, uh, versatile, plays multiple positions. You know, I think, I think Grant improved in a number of different ways this year. Um, you know, shot the corner three really, really well, which was really surprising. Um, but you know, there's, there's also reasons to kind of wonder about the guy as, you know, a, a well played, uh, well paid player um in terms of like you know this is this somebody that you can play much more than 20 minutes a game can you really pl- can you really play him stretch four minutes which i think is is probably his kind of future with the thunder um, especially if you keep Robertson, um, or you feel what you know maybe you don't keep Robertson, but it's a it's a clear hole the thunder are looking to fill with that small forward position with you know somebody out there and um if you if you do that you know where does jeremy grant is he are you really going to pay well for a backup guide to that, or you, you know, if he can't, if you don't believe him at the four, for extended minutes, can you do you really want to pay him, especially when you've got Demontis Sabonis and um, a lot of uh, interior players already that you're that you're high on? So yeah, I mean it, it's a uh, it's one of those it's one of those fun things, Danny. I feel like happens a lot throughout the summer, and there's there's so many situations like this where it's like these under the radar moves that like you know only like the you know kind of the NBA junkies really pay attention to, but they're really fascinating to see and kind of get a glimpse into like front office thinking and like you know kind of the the small you know finer detailed decisions that everybody has to make
0: it's also a great three-dimensional chess play because you can also think about the idea that maybe him being a restricted free agent really limits his market this summer because the thunder making that choice and sacrificing you know that that probably makes their team more expensive for the 2017-18 season right that might scare teams off and so if it scares teams off then maybe you get into like a dion waiters situation where you just start freaking everyone out and that that chills his market and it's actually easier because he loses so much leverage by doing it that way and so you know if let's say like you i know you're the the, the what you said and i agree with it is that the thunder are worried about paying him big money but if the well starts drying up and you start thinking like oh my god can we get him for six or seven million a year like if it, if it gets down there then you are then they should be high-fiving each other like then right. basically what happens is what was a huge risk you turned into just a nice value piece, and then worse comes to worse. If you can get him at that price, you can probably trade him if you need to.
1: Exactly, and and to me, I think that that's probably where the Thunder's discussions are leaning. Is they're probably saying, okay, what number can we get a guy like Jeremy Grant at that makes him the most tradable possible asset that he could be at, like high value trade? Because you know they like Jeremy Grant, they think he plays well. You know he's like I said, he he fits a lot of their their profile and what they're looking for in a player. Um, you know, he was, you know, kind of a, one officially one of their first moves that they made, somewhat controversially. So trading Ersan Ilyasova to get Jeremy Grant, but they wanted to get younger. You know, Ilyasova is an unrestricted free agent this summer. Blah blah blah. Um, but you know, at the same time, uh, you know, now I I think that the Thunder would view Jeremy Grant as, you know, they they see him probably at 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 most as a player to get to another player. You know, as as somebody to be a trade asset in a deal to kind of upgrade the roster at a later point. Um and you know within that, like you said, it's about what kind of number you get him at. If, if somebody, you know, somebody's not going to want to move for for Jeremy Grant if he's on a, you know, forty five million dollar deal over four years. I think that somebody might be like, I don't know about that. Like that's that's a lot of cap space committed to Jeremy Grant. But yeah, if you get him at five or six million dollars a year, uh, and it's a value contract, then then now you're talking with something.
0: And as we discussed earlier with Andre, all it takes is one or two teams though. And that, that's what makes GMs not be able to sleep at night is it's it's a calculated risk, but it's a fascinating one.
1: Yeah. And that's what the Thunder, you know, at the trade deadline, uh, a lot of sources told me this too, is, you know, they, they never, there was teams interested in Andre Robertson at the trade deadline because, you know, Presti has a, a reputation for, you know, not letting players get to restricted free agency. Um, typically, you know, you can go down the line with a lot of these guys that they had come through. You know, from Jeff Green to Reggie Jackson to whoever. Like when players are when there's an uncertain future ahead and an uncertain number ahead, Presti often will move them for a controllable asset that he you know that he does have complete control over. Uh, he didn't do that with Robertson because the Thunder like him, um, and then also, but within that, they they spent time trying to gauge the market. They tried to get as much as they possibly could to get a feel for like what is Andre Robertson going to cost us. And I think to me the message that that sent by not by doing their homework and and you know fielding some calls about him um and then uh you know virtually and then by you know eventually hanging on to him is that that was them saying that like we want to keep him but you know you got to wait and see what the what the offers look like
0: quickly the other guys that I wanted to discuss briefly we just talked about the trade deadline the two guys that Presti got at the deadline from chicago Taj Gibson doug mcdermott McDermott is under contract, but he 's extension eligible and then Taj Gibson is an unrestricted free agent what Where do you see that playing out kind of where are the contours right now
1: yeah, I mean Taj Gibson first you know I think he just turned thirty two uh, and you know everybody that you talk to around Gibson that knows him well um, you know he 's looking for a big contract you know as he kind of hits uh, you know the tail end of his career here and it's complicated for the Thunder because I think Gibson, like I said earlier, he's a Westbrook player. I think that he fits mentally alongside Westbrook. I think he fits well. You know, if it's, this is just my opinion, obviously, but you know, if Taj Gibson's on the Thunder from training camp, I think the Thunder are probably like a 52 win team, maybe. You know, I think that they're they're clearly a better team uh, with Taj Gibson as they're starting four throughout the entire season, and you know, I I think that they would love to have him back. I think he makes them better. Uh, but it's it's a matter of you know how much is he going to get paid? He's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to talk to a lot of different teams. I think you know Taj said himself that he wants to come back, but you know every player says that sort of thing when they're sitting there in exit interviews. They want as much leverage as they can possibly get. And um, but you know he's he, he's an interesting case there because the Thunder have Demonis Sabonis who had a very rocky rookie season, and but they're very very high on him. They believe in him as you know uh, a potential, you know, solid starting foreman of the future. Um, but you know, whether or not he's ready for that, do you commit money to that? And I think it also filters into how they feel about Ennis Canner, you know, paying Canner the money that he's getting, you know, that 20 minutes a night, uh, you know, he played three minutes in the uh, closeout game in game five, you know, that's two consecutive playoff series, the Warriors and the Rockets that, that Canner basically be basically became an unplayable guy making $18 million a year sitting on your bench so all that stuff kind of works hand in hand and then about mcdermott they love doug mcdermott i don't think i don't really expect them to extend him unless it's at a value deal where he's cutting a big break or something but they do they do see mcdermott um as a long-term piece for sure
0: And he opens up some different avenues for them in terms of a guy who can play three and the four, just, I mean, he's not really defensively, but just in terms of doing some different things out there and he can shoot. I think that having an off season with him and Billy Donovan will, will help him a lot that they can actually figure out how to maximize what he can bring.
1: Yeah. and, And that's something, that's something Presti actually referenced, Danny, is that, you know, they see him, they see McDermott as a little bit more of a four man. He played it a little bit in that rocket series. Um, you know, not, not to draw just white guy on white guy comparison, but there is a little, I think a little Ryan Anderson ish, you know, Ryan Anderson does a lot of things better than McDermott. You know, he's a better rebounder, all that type of stuff. Um, better shooter too, probably overall. Uh, but like, you know, I think the thunder kind of see that. I think that that's kind of the vision that they maybe have with McDermott is, you know, what, what Anderson did for James Harden in spacing at the four position. Maybe McDermott can do that at least in spurts for Westbrook.
0: That would be encouraging, and I think it goes with the idea that the Thunder did go through their path this year because of necessity, and that when they have different options, and McDermott is certainly a different option, they can do other things. And you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work, but I'm excited to see the prospects.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, I I think that you know a lot of people, as you kind of you know put a bow on this Thunder season, and you know there was a lot of people that that wanted to draw conclusions from it. To me, it just at the heart of it it was a, it was the Russell Westbrook experience and it was about what he what he accomplished himself with a with a deeply flawed team that didn't really necessarily fit his skill set and again this is year 1 post Durant I, I think people just have to kind of wrap their minds around that context you referenced it they got nothing back for the guy a a foundational hall of fame player they got nothing back you compare it to you know if lebron up and left cleveland right now he'd leave behind kevin love and kyrie irving how many wins is that cavaliers team probably going to win i don't know 35 or something i they're they're just you you take a player of the magnitude of kevin durant off of a team and they are going to have problems so to me i've always seen this season that the thunder had as fairly remarkable because they were able to kind of withstand and endure a departure of durant's magnitude um and still kind of continue on but to me, this is when the evaluation starts for Presti in the front office. I give them grace for this first season because what else were they supposed to do? They made some moves. They, they, they tried to do what they could to kind of adjust and adapt on the fly. But now this is where they have evidence. This is where they have uh, some some data to, to evaluate what the, what the roster should look like. And now this is where they have to start building their roster. And so I, I don't think you can evaluate Presti in the front office last season so much. This is when it begins for me.
0: I could not summarize that better if I had an, if I had hours to plan it. So, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: You bet Danny, always enjoy it, man.
0: Thanks again to Royce Young for taking the time to come on. You can read him at ESPN.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Royce Young. That's R-O-Y-C-E-Y-O-U-N-G. The Thunder story is just absolutely fascinating to me because of how they reacted. We talked about it a lot in terms of losing Durant for nothing, getting Westbrook to come back, and now it's not like that drama is over. That drama is just continuing, at least for a little bit, until we find out what happens with Russ. And I'm not going to do team-specific stuff all the time. But I do like incorporating it from time to time just to to give that perspective. And The Thunder, to me, were the most compelling story of the 2016-17 regular season. So I wanted to do a podcast commemorating that. And that's what Royce and I have been trying to figure out the timing to do beforehand. And... Next week, will in all likelihood, the the current plan is to do actually something on the draft because the scout combine, the scout, the NBA combine is happening right now, and then the NBA draft lottery is on Tuesday of next week, so that provides a pretty good window. Still working on probably going to have Sam Vicini on, still working on to see if I can either get another guest on top of that or, or do something different. But I love having Sam on. So if it's just him, I'll be thrilled. And lots going on. I have my off-season previews are now going up on Sports Illustrated, as cool as that is for me to say. It's a lifelong dream. And so I'm doing offseason previews for all 30 teams. I believe four of them are out when this gets released. The Rockets, the Jazz, the Raptors, and the Bulls. But there will be all 30 before the start of free agency. I, I think I'm about a third of the way through writing them. And then, of course, there's plenty of work in editing that amount of material and everything else. And then I'll have material for Real GM. I want to really get back in on the CBA encyclopedia. And then I have a couple of extraneous pieces that probably will be sporting news, might be other places. And then, of course, my standard work at the athletic on the Warriors, and then Dunked On with Nate Duncan, and then the Twitter NBA show, which we will be doing, you know, basically for when there are playoff games that we are not covering. So you can check all of those things out. And you can also check out CLNS Radio. We're proud to be in the CLNS Radio family. They have an app. I use it. It's a a nice thing on... I use it on, on... I've, on my iPhone. So I, I know it exists on Android. I can't speak to the Android experience, but the iPhone one is great. It's a growing network of podcasts, including some on specific teams, especially in the Boston area, but other, what, other places. And then more general ones, Coach Nick's b Breakdown podcast is in it as well. So you can check all those out using the CLNS radio app. And if you want to support this show... Or really any other ones you listen to. Leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. Subscribe, download every episode. Those things really do matter. And then check out our sponsors. In this episode, it is Blue Apron. Those of you who listened to the show for a while know how much I love Blue Apron, but it is an amazing food delivery service. Go to blueapron.com slash real GM for three free meals, including free shipping on your, on your order and Hopefully you'll love it as much as I do. I really do. is something I look forward to all the time. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the best way, at danielarue on Twitter. Uh, if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it, but I do not promise I will respond. And I, I probably don't have the time to do much of that, especially considering writing 30 off-season 30 off previews, doing some more stuff for Dunked On and everything else, and of course covering a team that's still going. So that's enough rambling for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.